It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. I've got up early and driven across the Welsh borders, up the Welsh borders, to Shropshire, to these wonderful hard-ridged hills, wooded flanks, to Stipestains, where I'm meeting a young farmer, Alex Chidley Utley, whose family have farmed here for many generations. In this season of the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine, we are exploring voices of the countryside. So Alex, I'm keen to hear her voice, her take on rural life as a, as a farmer in these hills. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. So join me for a lovely explore of this wild and deeply rural place. I'm off to meet Alex. What are we going to do first? You're going to show me around? And then... Yeah, let's have a look. We'll go into the lambing shed, or the big shed. The so big shed. The big shed. It's usually called the big shed, and then this time of year it's called the lambing shed, because, I see. unsurprisingly, it's where they're lambing. So That's we'll come good, in. healthy smell of straw, and we've got <laughs> loads of little pens. On. Loads of little pens, yeah. It's interesting you say this, because I, I've gone nose blind to this now, but I imagine you can. They're fresh. It's a lovely, morning, sweet straw smell. Um, so... We've got Tell the fresh beds down. So we've got... You're in the middle of lambing season, so we I'm are, intruding yeah. on this sort of precious time. <laughs> what time did you get up this morning? I got up, so I did a check at four, went back to bed, and then I was up again at half five. So at the moment we're um, fuelled on very little sleep. I was going to say sheep then. Sheep. Sheep. <laughs> that wasn't even deliberate. It just, <laughs> it just comes in all the time. Um, so, yeah, it's we're doing uh, checks every couple of hours. I did it... Um, with a shorter gap because of the storm last night. I thought I'd come and check yeah, them all, but they were... Dudley, we should say. Dudley. Yeah, Dudley. What a name for a storm, but it was a... The, it was quite intense, but they were all, um, you know, they, they'd been hunkered down. They, they were all absolutely fine, so it didn't, didn't touch them. But um, 
So who are we looking at here? We've got a load of ewes and lambs in these stalls. What's, what's, how, how long ago did these land? So these girls, it's been going on for... Well, they came in just before Christmas, just to be fed and everything, and then they've been lambing really since. They were due from about the 10th of January, but we didn't until kind of getting towards the end of January. These guys, mostly their lambs are about a week or so old, a bit over. They'll probably go out this weekend into the bigger shed around the back. Um, but it's a bit mixed. Some of them will stay in because, on whole... We've got very healthy lambs. There will occasionally be one who's born a little bit weak or something might not be quite right. So my uncle, um, who's the farmer here, he will um, keep them in and we'll keep an eye on them, check you know, any eye problems, things like that, keep an eye on them. And then um, and just make sure also you get ones that aren't maybe feeding that well sometimes. But these guys are really, they're Gosh, bonny they now, so they're doing these well. These are only a week old. And well, some, some yeah. are a bit over, but there's, yeah, I mean, they look so probably bonny. 10 days. Oh, when they're born, there's some that come out and honestly... Um, you would think they were, they were almost like donkeys when they go out, absolutely <laughs> huge. Because some will do it unaided, but usually um, when the hill sheep come in, which are the next round coming in in a couple of weeks, they will, mostly they will do it unaided. They have smaller lambs, they're smaller sheep. These are quite big ewes, and quite a lot of them need their lambs pulling. And I think if you can see that some of these are a week, 10 days old, so they need, you can these imagine. Need a bit, bit of extra care. Bit of intervention, yeah. So um, there's a lot of um, getting your hands... So in places. I'm, not, I'm not bad on birdsong, but I'm not very good on sheep ID. What, <laughs> what breed of sheep are these that we're looking at? So they're going to be quite mixed. My uncle is very good at um, crossings in terms of which tops he puts with ewes and things like that. So he's got two Suffolk tops. And um, you can always tell the Suffolk lambs because they'll have the floppy ears and they usually have, um, they're usually pretty slow when they're first born, but they're quite stocky. And so floppy ears, like floppy ears, ears like suffered. Yeah, exactly. They okay. kind of flop down. So the Welshies, that that one there in the middle pen, she's a Welshie because she's got that sort of. Um, she'll have a bit of text or something in there as well, but she'll definitely have some Welsh. She's quite strong genes, so they usually have sort of slightly pointier faces and they're a bit finer. So these slightly wider faces, te texels. Texels, yeah. yeah. And then this one here with the eyes, there. Those quite. There's a marking that comes off the eye, looks quite deep set. Yeah, That'll okay. be Beltex. Oh gosh, so, so you're. That's, so there's a Those deep, mark, dark that, groove coming down. Yeah, that's face. a very Beltex trait. This is the best introduction to sh sheep <laughs> I've been given. I've met a few farmers of these. Yeah. Um, so at the moment you've got, say, 20-odd ewes in here? Yeah, so, so this is the last run, yeah. The last run? Of, so. of this lot, yeah, okay. the others around the back. We can go and have a look at those, yeah. So, so they're out and about. Some you've put back on the, on the hill. Well, they, they won't go out yet because we, we don't lamb outdoors. Mm. Um... I never, never have, um, but you know, lot, lots of people do, and that's fine, but we do everything indoors. And so they go, when I say they go out, they go round the back where that little hatch is, and I'll take you round there, and there's another bigger shed, and they're all in there. So we mark them up, tail them, all that sort of thing, and then my uncle does that, and my cousin take them round, and they all kind of run around together. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's it. But these nice. guys, they'll probably go out this weekend. They're, they're ready to go, because they're looking... We've got a lamb now looking... When I first arrived here, we, we did a little bit of strawing. <laughs> you did, watering, yeah, and the water really buckets. Fun. You were brilliant. But, well, thank you. Oh, my time, it was filling, great. Filling buckets full of water is one of my great skills. <laughs> um, could you, for listeners, mm. could you sort of describe the farm, so how big it is and who yeah. works here and, and sort of just give us a little picture of, of course, what, what of course. like? So it's, it's a small farm. 
Um, it's very old-fashioned, and um, as I said earlier, there's a you know, there's friends of mine who always compared it to somewhere like an episode of, of Heartbeat or something like that. Is <laughs> you know, and I think I go around dressed like green grass, but it's it's probably I think it's around about a hundred acres roughly. So it's not it's not very big. Oh, that's not a big farm. Not a big farm at all. But um, and we've got I think it's around three hundred sheep and about twenty cattle, um, but. You know, it's it's self-funded and it's a it's a really good little. You know, we don't have loads of animals, but the ones we have are very good quality. And as I say, my uncle's very good with the breeding, and you know, I I do the feeding and everything. So the way they're looked after and the way they're bred, they're really solid, good stock. Um, it's amongst the Shropshire Hills, and it's very kind of Wuthering Heights, very lived in, but um, it's the animals are very beautiful. yeah. There's these <laughs> I love hills it. around. I mean, oh like yeah. An theatre of hills to the east, I guess. Is that east? That way? I would think so, yeah, because yeah. Ludlow, yeah, if Ludlow's going the other way, yeah, that's yeah. south. So it's, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my compass is where's Ludlow and where's Shrewsbury to the north, Ludlow to the south. But it's, yeah, these animals, I think everything, lots of hurdles kind of tied and repaired a bit, so str- string is ubiquitous here. There's baler twine. Is it, is <laughs> yeah, you call it baler twine, twine is, is everywhere. Farm, farmer's tool. Oh um, yeah, in my pockets. And there's always a pen knife somewhere and you've always got the veterinary gloves and Agrigel and things like that. So if the girls go, you can quickly say, "Grab the gel, grab a glove." What's the um, gel for? Is that for helping? Yeah, bring, that's bring that's, that's, um, that's a. Lub- I was going to say I didn't know what words I was allowed to use. But I say that's an aid to. I think we're allowed to. <laughs> to what nature maybe needs a little bit of a, yeah, yeah, a hand, yeah. and so that's where the agrigel comes in. But um, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> you're in safe hands, girls. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, they're hilarious. Like some of the stories and things they do, they just they. We get ones jumping out of pen, because they're all different characters, you see. So some will clear a pen and jump out. Others will just sleep the day away. You know, they're all completely different. So your working day begins in the small hours at the, morning, at the moment? Yeah, yeah, during lambing. And then generally, outside of lambing, it'll start about 7. I'll come and... I'll be up before 7, but I'll come out at 7 to feed and then, um, you know, get everything ready. Because my at the weekends, my uncle will usually come over about half 8, 9, and he'll do... Um, track to work and all that sort of thing. So I like all the feeding and everything out the way then. So if he has to come around and check them all, you know, everyone's penned and ready, he can just have a look and see what's what. Um, and then, yeah, then I kind of start again at about five o'clock and do all the feeding so again. you have a little break in the afternoon, do you? Well, when we're not lambing. When we're lambing, yes. no, it's no, every no, couple no. of hours and in the height of it every hour because they will pop like hawks. Brilliant. Well, let's have a look at the other... Um... Yeah, should I take you round? You can see this lot. Yeah. There's a few cows as well. There's um, the bull wheels in. He was shouting this morning. I heard um, a bellowing of... Um... Yeah, he's a bit cross about something. He is a real oh. character, actually. My uncle, which I just love, it goes in there with him and he rubs his back with a broom just to get any of the tufts of... He's a Charolais, just to get any of the tufts of, of his... We call it his wool, to get his wool off. But he's, um, he's very sweet, so it's a bit mucky around here. You need your oh, wellies. Right. Yeah, yeah, good. But, I, have, I have a delightful sheepdog. Um, oh, chef. Uh, just r- pushing her head against my knee, and when I'm not paying her any attention, her, him, her, him, her, her chef, yeah, very much, yeah, not paying her any attention, she's pouring at my leg. Yeah, she's she really will. pressing against me. She's, <laughs> she's, she's persistent. So you've got real menagerie here. I've oh, met so honestly, far six dogs. Six dogs, yeah, and then <laughs> sheep and cows and all sorts, and so fish. yeah. Fish. A big pond full of big fish. Oh, um, yeah, that's Mum's pride and joy. So she's. Okay, so now we're heading through the farmyard. So these are the cows. So we've got these ones have not. So these are uh, young heifers we've got there. This is oh, Will. calves as well. Huh? So she's she's not long calves. So that I think that one's about two weeks old. Okay. And then she's due. I mean, the vet said pretty soon, but she hasn't gone yet. So right. it's kind of a watching game. So my uncle bought her in, and she'll stay in here now until she. She cars. We're looking. She hasn't really bagged up that much, but 
bagged uh, up, which means the sort udder, of when, yeah. when the oh the udder, the udder yeah. So well, the stomach when they've got a big udder, and then the the belly will drop usually right before. But she's her udder isn't really that big yet. There, I've left a bucket out. I've just seen that, so I'm gonna, I'll get that in before my uncle sees it tonight. Oh dear, you get in trouble. Will you? <laughs> well, he's you know he comes he's, up and goes, he misses nothing. He's like a hawk. But, um, Oh, hello. So these, these are the talkative. other girls. Oh, yeah, these girls will... Um, oh, we can get in and, if you're happy to climb yeah, over. Yeah, let's uh, we're gonna, come so in and have a Climbing look. in with the... With the ship. Oh, God, I'm not as nimble as I used to be. There we go. That is one thing you do find. It's almost a bit like Pilates. You can clear these hurdles in no time. I think it's very well, good. Well, you can. I, I'm... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get very used to it. Um, so I strawed these girls last night, so they're looking a bit cosy. We go out, climb up on there. That, I suppose health and safety is probably not the best, but I get that lad to climb up there and toss the straw down in big chunks and they just spread it around because they get I'd so excited. I'd be tempted just have a kip up there. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, uh, there's a sort of hay uh, balcony, a balcony of hay. Right? Yeah, it's like an old-fashioned well, hayloft, isn't it, really? But it's, yeah. So we're completely surrounded by lovely-looking lambs and their mums. guys. And, uh, yeah, it looks like you've had a good, a good year then so far. Yeah, oh, they, they've been doing really well. And we've got, you know, there's some little, absolute little belters here, but you can see, you know, that says she's pretty chilled. Others will come and have a look. I mean, they know, it's funny, they know who's new. So if you get walkers, there's a footpath through the farm. So if walkers go through, um, they know not to shout. But if I appear, or my uncle, they'll shout because they associate us with, you know, feeding or doing stuff. Really? So, yeah, it's, it. it's so funny. They say about, you know, sheep definitely know the difference between people. And sheep are cleverer than people, the, the cliché of sheep being daft. Uh, is... Yeah, it's never one I've understood, because I no. tell you what, they'll, they'll, they run amok, and they really, even my sister, so she came up, and they don't shout at her, so they even know she, you know, they know what's what. And they're much bossier, my mum said, they're much bossier to me. So I think they've taken the measure that I'm a soft touch. So they really, <laughs> I have to come in here with a bucket on top of my head and kind of wade through them, because they really will give you, give you hell. They'll, um, they'll knock you about, but... That's quite. A, that's a muley looking one, actually. So you get a lot of um, a mule. Yeah. yeah, you get a lot of um, the Lester's. Mule, that's the, the mule just speaking. That's the mule. Yeah, that's her. So she knows we're talking about it. She's no fool. Yeah, Wait, there she deeper goes. Voice. So tell me about mule, mules. So you'll get a lot of Lester's in. Um, I can't remember what percentage it is, but they'll say that are in in sheep. So that that Roman nose, that profile. Yeah. She's. Oh, that's more Welsh, but yeah, that one she's uh, gone off again. Sli is, slightly. Roman-esque profile, yeah, yeah is, is a very kind of mule-looking. She's probably got, so the speckled one there with a the longer face, yeah. that's very Clun Forest cross. So she'll be watered down, but that's a, usually those ones have got a Clun sort of look and they'll have speckled Clun, legs as well. Which is, a, which is Shropshire, deep Shropshire. Deep Shropshire, yeah, yeah deep Shropshire, so, so Cluns. And then you've got those sort of more, and I say this affectionately, but those kind of slightly more piggy-looking, I'm trying to find an example in here. Hello, girl, you're a bit Clunny as well, aren't you? Yeah. We'll be, so just there, you see the... The one with the grey face, and there's a smaller one next to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. very Beltexy. And then... So Beltex is a mix of Texel and... Uh... Well, Beltex, yeah, is, oh, its, is, own, is its own breed, oh, yeah. Right, okay. But it's... Um, Texels have got much more of a... They're very stocky. Quite, quite... square-headed, I think. Yeah, and they look almost a little bit piggy as well, like in yeah, a cute yeah. way. But um, you can see, and you can always tell the lambs that have had... Any dirt. So our Texel tops are in the, the field just there. You oh, see okay. them. These are these are the these yeah. are the males. <laughs> yeah, my uncle's the rams, pride yeah. and joy. So they are around somewhere. Oh, there they are. Can you see, can you see that very piggy look that yes. they have? They're over there because I threw them some sugar beet this morning. And they've done their work. Oh, they've done. Yeah, and they um, they're pretty chilled now. But they, I mean, they'll go in with the girls and 
you can always tell when they've had a break because we'll have a flurry of used lambing over about a week where they just go bam, 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 bam. Yeah. And then there'll be about four days of nothing. And I think, oh, right, the tops had a couple of days they're having, off. They're having a cigarette. <laughs> they had a, yeah, they're having a cigarette and a kip. Um, and then they kind of, they, they, got, they got back on the horse, as it were. But, um, you know, those guys. So, so now they have a bit of a rest now. Yeah, when, they're, when, they're when just chill. When do you chill. put them in, in with the ewes for the next topic? So he'll go, we've got the, they won't go now until... Um, further on into the year because we're going to have the spring lambers come. See, these are the January lambers. Well, it's a five-month gestation. So, yeah, getting more towards the end of summer. So, and then so we'll scan again in November to see how they're getting on. I see. And then they'll come in just before Christmas to lamb in January. And then he'll put the tops to the ones for the spring lambers a bit further on still. Oh, I see. So this, this is, is Will the Bull. Will the Bull. He's so, a lovely sort of fawn colour. Yeah, um, he's a Charolais. Honey, so he's Charolais, OK. Or probably Charolais cross, I think, at this point. Yeah. But... He's got a little curly hair, but he's a bit balder at the moment. He does get very hairy. Right. Um, my this is winter sort of plumage then, is it? Yeah, basically. <laughs> but he's so relaxed. But my uncle will come in tonight and straw them with a machine that you put the bale in, then it blows it out into, into the shed. It's quite funny, actually, to watch. And this girl, she's due pretty soon. She's dragged all her hay through, so that's... So what breed is this? Is this she'll be I, she'll be a cross. I'm not sure which one. I mean, we've got a bull at the moment who's a Hereford cross, but she looks a bit Herefordy. Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, but she's. Um, okay, listen, let's see if we can catch her head snorting into the microphone. There you go. <laughs> so, so you can always put your hand to her, and she might snort in here if you do. Come on, girl. No, she won't play ball now. Shaking her head. Isn't that? Yeah, that's it. When you want them, they won't. They won't do it. So tell me about your family then. You've been farming here for a, how long have your, your family been farming this, this land so in, this, uh, in this area? We came to this particular farm um, at the end of the 1950s. My grandfather, my late grandfather, or our late grandfather, I should say, bought it. And then, but the actual hills, for a long time, I've been farming in Shropshire for since about... It's been Chidley's farming in the Shropshire since about the 1750s. My, 1750s. Okay. Yeah, I've been so farming in Shropshire in general. Yeah. Um, my incomers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then my um, my grandmother, we call her Nanny. Nanny's family um, are from Shropshire and from Sarn as well, and they used to farm out towards Westley, um, which is a little village, and they've been farming for generations. They also farmed up at Shelve, which isn't far away. So again, they've been farming here for for well centuries, really. Um, both both families, and so my. Um, my late grandfather bought this place in um, yeah the end of the 50s and it was a little tiny it was a, a bit of a farm but it was a little tiny cottage and as they did in those days they weren't the most sensitive about preserving that sort of thing so he sort of just built a bigger more modern you know these days it's, it's more about restoration isn't it but the old buildings are original those little sheddy ones there and they're over 100 years old i mean i mean the hills we've had common rights since um before the first world war and my um Sorry, Fergus, I'm kind of walking around That's doing it. No, no, no. It's my... Um, oh, yeah, this is where... This is a shed for the buckets. <laughs> my, um, that is Steptoe's yard in that shed. My um, great-grandfather uh, gave up the commoners' rights to go to the Second World War. And then when he came back, he took them on again. And his... Yeah, so um, his son, my late-grandfather, um, had them. And now my uncle, his son... Has them, so there it is. And they come tied with the land, do they? The, the commoners' rights, or is it? Yeah, usually. I mean, I'm not. I suppose it's one of those things. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I suppose because they've had them for so long, it's kind of been passed, and we share it with another family who live 
just down the way and they've been there for years as well. And we go up on the hill um, and my uncle goes up on the quad and they'll go up in the land river and things and we'll go and pick, get the sheep and drive them off. And we'll do it usually in two or three lots and just drive them off the hill. And you see walkers and things up there. And, um, you know, they'll look at us like we're mad because you're just suddenly running through the heather. And I suppose it's a bit like beating, really. You have to clap and shout and whistle. Yeah. And we're flushing these sheep out and they all come running across. And it's, it's amazing. And they come down So you do, you do hill. Your, your human sheepdogs? Sort of yeah, thing, basically. Yeah. yeah, because the sheepdogs we've seen, as you've seen, are very sweet, but they're near useless. <laughs> I mean, Shep, bless her, is actually a deterrent because when we bring them in for shearing off that hill, they'll come in. She just runs in front of them barking. Oh so my poor uncle's going, go away, Shep. And she's just yeah. going, and sends them back up. So oh, she's sheep. sort of the anti-sheepdog, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a use for a sheepdog like that, but yeah. the anti-sheepdog. She's, um, yeah, she's lovely, but her work ethic is jumbled, to say the least. So you've been here for quite a while. Were you born here? Then? I you? was born here, yeah. So um, I grew up here, my sisters did, and my... My uncle lives just over there, and his children as well. So who's all the, So this house is this part of the farm. Here? So this is Nanny's house. Okay, this and is that's, a lovely whitewashed. Yeah. Uh, beautiful farmhouse with lovely views across, and then beside it there's a cream house. This is my mum and dad's house here. Oh, I see, so right. this is where we grew up, yeah. and then my uncle's just over the way, and then the fields. You've got the fields across there. Well, I can show you a little bit. Yeah, we'll let's walk have across a if you want to have a look. So you've been farming here. Have you always farmed here then? Are you yourself? Um, so, well, no, because we always helped and did things. My, uh, my late grandfather was quite a... My uncle's a lot easier to work for. My late oh, really? grandfather was quite a character. I mean, my uncle's a character as well, but um, it was, we always helped as children and things like that. And then I went, you know, went to university and, you know, my cousin has done it from a little boy and he's, I mean, bless him, he's really worked. I kind of sort of always helped him bits and bobs and then really for the last few years I've got into it much more and just love it and then... So we've just walked over down Little Lane. It's a bit windy, but we've arrived in a very sunny spot. And you Not call it the rough. The rough. So it's this is when they go on the rough. So here. It's it's a rough field, but full of. It's almost, very literal. Yeah, I mean, let's get some squelchy sounds of us walking through. <laughs> oh, it sounds your thing. Yeah, this is the spot. Yeah. But this is amazing. There's there's these ant hills. I can't think of them. It can't be anything else. I think you, I mean, you'll know more than me on that one, fellas, I think, because some... But they're like, they're, you know, 18 inches high and proper little termite mounds, so... It fantastic. looks bizarre, doesn't yeah. it? It's, I don't know, it's a very wild place and it sort of feels a bit Welsh, it's a bit English, you know, it's such a mix of things and it's so untouched by kind of glamour and things. Oh, it does have that fit, I mean, just those hills and the way it sort of tumbles down... You know, you've got a few fields here which look sort of, sort of more lowlandy type fields, but yeah, actually everything is just feels like the wild is nudging at the at the door. Feels almost like it's like it should be out of a you know these legends when you you know in this place as you go and you can hear the old legends that are tied to the land and it feels like here that wouldn't really be a stretch of the imagination or local superstitions and things like that. You don't feel that that's far fetched here. You feel that all that sort of thing might well live in the land still. What was that story you, were, you alluded to, a stone that the grandfather oh, yeah. had? If we don't get stuck while we're walking in, That's maybe right. just are stuck in the mud in a minute. Yeah, this is, this is, this is proper deep. <laughs> this is a stroke of genius, wasn't it, letting me say, let's walk down here. Yeah. Um, so there was, there's a field up the way, and um, it was, there's a, there was a big stone in it, and my grandmother told me this story. Oh, this stone go. is tied to a local legend, and it's said that you're not supposed to so move it. It's like it. an ancient boundary stone. Yeah, it's like this big old slab of a stone thing and in the 60s 
my late grandfather got this stone moved by two men that were labouring for him and helping and then anyway it's considered cursed and this is a true story and the two men not instantly but over a stretch of time both died and not at massive ages one had quite an unusual type of cancer and the other was killed in an accident with his tractor oh my goodness and it was so... just considered and so my grandfather took a post painted it white put it next to the stone and hammered it in the ground and uh, whenever he was doing the the hay and that kind of thing cutting they still do it they cut around it yeah and it's still there with the post is still next to it oh, wow. the white paint has chipped off quite a lot but they still cut round it so i can't believe the sun is shining and we're actually getting warmth after the last few days of this stormed up again i had the breath <laughs> wading up that hill um, it's um yeah the good old Shropshire landscape it does undulate so, and it, it's funny you don't the hills taking actually the view that, so what, what is this stiper stones here or what's this so the stiper stones is over the way okay that's got behind that hill yeah like a dragon's back of like um stones of the, the yeah exactly the devil's chair yeah and then you've got you can see the old sheep path coming down that hill right in front of us yes okay and then you've got what's called the, the other so that round sort of hill there mountain really the other side that's a cloud burst yeah. and that's because back in I think it was the 50s probably a bit before there was a really bad storm and it just flooded the top of the hill and it's still there it's all this sort of residue oh. and also during the second world war a plane crashed up there and uh, there was still a wreckage when my mum was there as a little girl so what we've got here in the view just is, is these, these hills sort of have bare stone poking out like bones and then it, it, and then quite sharp ridges yeah so do you your sheep is, there, is this where your sheep would graze on the common land they go they'll go all across that hill yeah and then they go up by the tin house as well and they'll go over towards by the stiper stones and they'll graze. so it's, it's a fair area and they've got a big area of land that you need yeah. to yeah and i mean i'm interested in how you keep control of sheep that are out on the commons it's or out on the common land um because i, I live in the brecon beacons and I, yeah i'm sort of walking out in the wilds and there are sheep with marks on their backs and yeah do you just sort of go right they're off for the summer and I will find them in the, in the autumn. I come back. You know, it's interesting and that's a really good question because the last year, English um, nature have taken on a hill shepherd to do that, to keep an eye on any common, you know, to be out there all the time because of walkers and dogs on leads and monitor that oh, really? kind of thing. really? So someone's up there all through the summer? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but my uncle will go up and have a look and his uncles and my great-uncles will go up occasionally on the quad, I think, just to keep an eye on mm. things. But, you know, these sheep... It's so in them now. They know the hills. And my uncle chooses which ones go up. And, I mean, these guys here that you can see here, these are, these are old now. So they won't see another summer up there because it, it'd be a bit too much for them. But, um, so they, they just stay in these lowland pastures? Yeah, they do. Like, and then they'll move along when the grass runs out. There's a sentimentality here, then, of, of these old sheep who've oh, done yeah. their... Oh, yeah. They've, their... they've kind of served their bit. I mean, the ones that go on the hill, they'll bring themselves down mm. and they'll start appearing above the cow field. And my oh, really? uncle was always saw... say, oh, yeah, they'll go up in early October. My uncle to the, to the dot will say... In a couple of days, they'll start appearing and they start coming down the track and you kind of hear, bah, and they start shouting. And there they are, they're making their way down. And these guys would have been up there many times. So in terms of sentimentality, that's the one with the tuft, like okay, sort of almost yeah. mohawk, oh, really. Yeah, yeah. So that's she's Mary. A, she's a sort of white sheep. Oh, yeah, yeah. she's a real... She, she's got the mottled face and a mohawk. And she she was born and she was tiny and she was born in the in January years ago now. And she, it was really bleak, really snowy winter. My, my late grandfather's still alive. And she couldn't stand. And so he got... Do you remember when walkers used to come in those cardboard boxes? I don't know if they still do it. 
but he cut two holes, four holes, sorry, in a crisp box and put her legs in it by the by the fire, his log fire, and her legs were dangling down, he said, to give her the strength oh, and slowly really built like up. Like a harness. Yeah, basically. She... And, and it worked. By gum, it worked. And now oh, there she goodness. is, and she's a, quite a good age now. The Hebridean, I believe, is about 16, my cousin says. She's a little black. Yeah, uh, with the horns. Dark brown black sheep with, with horns, yes. So yeah. the females of uh, the ewes of Hebrideans have horns. Yeah, most. so a lot of the traditional breeds, because Hebrideans are a very old breed, mm. um, aren't polled. Texels and things like that are. It's more of a modern polled thing, generally. Polled is, um, is where, where they're, 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 they're bred yeah. not have... uh, You can have them removed yeah. as well. But yeah, but the Hebrideans, that's it. She's a, that is a real traditional purebred Hebridean. Oh, she's well, tiny. She, so she's had lots of lambs over the years she's she? yeah and then she's because she's one of the my my grandfather came home with a flock of them once i'm sure my uncle thought oh goodness me <laughs> um and so they're they're a rare breed and um he came home with them and she's the last i mean there's a couple that her descendants and one of them i've got called sybil who will stay here but she's one she's the last kind of one that came here and the so the last of that of your grandfather's yeah uh, so my uncle said oh, in a moment of tenderness said yep yeah, go on then she can stay and so there she is. And we've got Joey, who's a, a weather. Now, I call him a bellwether, but my uncle says he's not a bellwether. So f I suppose for anyone that doesn't know, a weather is a castrated male. OK. So you've got a teaser who um, is um, intact but has had his tubes cut. Um, so he can't impregnate. So he can't impregnate, but he can, I don't know, warm them up, let's say. Yeah, aroused. Yeah, I never know what the cut of water would say, but yeah, he can, he can <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, well, he can throw a few logs on the we're fire. dancing around the edges. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, as I say, you can put a few logs on the fire and get it, you know, and then the, tu the tubs <laughs> yeah, come okay, and very nice. much stoke the fire. Yeah. But so, but poor old Joey was robbed of that honour. And Joey was born again in the height of winter, warming to the theme. And he was, um, he was a Cade. His mum cast him off and he came to live in the house. And because he was the only Cade that year... Cade, that's another... I've never heard that for sheep. Oh, a Cade all is... Others, like, all the other terms I've A Cade is a lamb that's either cast off or is orphaned. And touch wood... Mm. I'm going to actually touch wood. We haven't yeah. had any this year. We've been very lucky. We've got very good mums. But, um, and we haven't lost any. But he was a Cade. His mum... I think, if I remember correctly, he was part of a double, which is twins, and his mum didn't want him. Oh, and poor, poor Joey. Poor Joey. And so he came in the house, but because the snow was so bad, he stayed in the house for quite a while. And we ended up putting a nappy on him, so he can't run around the house weeing and doing all the defecating. So, yeah. And he would come with us to, through the village. We walked the dogs, and he would walk with us. And he's still really tame. And I say he's like a bellwether, because a bellwether, historically, would lead the sheep on the hill and things like that. And you still find medieval bells that he used to wear, and that's oh, why they're called bellwethers. Bellwether, it's, a, it's, it's passed into wider... Into Language. a term, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so I said that, and my uncle says he's no bellwether. And anyway, we brought them in last summer, <laughs> and he came running through at the front of the ewes, went onto the side, knocked my mum's plant part over, and started running in muck. And my uncle said, There's your bellwether. And I thought, Yeah, so he's probably not technically a bellwether, but he's very tame, and so much so that actually he'll come and grab your pockets and things and see if you've got any nuts in there. So did he have his t sort of tackle removed? He, yeah, he was. So when they're, they're tailed and castrated, um, which any so male lamb. You didn't want to use him as a tub. No, okay. and and it generally um, we've got some homebred tarts, but generally most of the castration go for either early meat or go on for whatever else you decide to do or sold on. But um, he was kept, and my uncle acquiesced and said, "Fine, he can stay, but we're not to make a habit of it." <laughs> and now he's lumbered with this weather that whenever they try and do stuff, he used to go in with the ewes, and sometimes he comes in with the hill sheep. But he, I mean, he knocks down hurdles, it, the lambing pens that you saw. He will knock those down and try and get their hay and things. I mean, he is a terror. Oh. So my uncle is 
very patient when really a lot of farmers wouldn't be. Well, I was going to say, um, a lot of farmers that I've spoken to have, have made it quite explicit. There's no room for sentimentality or for mm. keeping on a, a spare animal that will eat into profits. But here you've, you've sort of respected that they've... Well, perhaps not Joey, who hasn't, <laughs> hasn't given you back loads, <laughs> loads of lambs or lots of... Uh, but obviously there's, there's, he's given you something over the years. He has. Um, I mean, I think Joey... Sometimes I, I think you can't always give kindness and generosity and expect anything back. I think that defeats the object of doing yeah. it. Um, and I think, you know, it's good to feel like that when you do it to Jerry because that kindness couldn't have been bestowed on a less grateful candidate. But I think it's, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think everything's oh, so... Jerry. Oh, Jerry. Classic Jerry. I think, you know, not to be too... Um, look at them watching us here. But yeah, not to yeah. be too cliche about it all. I think it's... You know, everything's so far pa- fast-paced now. Everything's got a price. Everything, what's it worth? What does it give us? And I think sometimes it's worth sitting back a little bit, enjoying them, getting to know their characters, and actually just appreciating something for what it is, not what can it do for us and what can we take from it. Some things just are, I and I, sometimes I think that's enough, isn't it? That's a lovely thing to hear. Cause... You know, whilst uh, you know, I'm, I'm not surrounded by grandeur or anything like that, I think there's a lot of people living lives that... You know, we see on the news everywhere, and, it, and it, there's so much that you wish we could do to help people. And I think every day I come outside and I stand in these fields, I put my wellies on, and yes, it might be five in the morning, it might be two in the morning, it might be seven, but I'm doing something that is I love, and I'm surrounded by nature. It's, you know, I'm very lucky. I'm breathing healthy air. There's no threats around me, you know, apart from Joey occasionally. But I think it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're very lucky. And I think it's, you know, sheep, it's work of passion. I think I've grown up with it, and... I think it's in me to love them, but actually, I just love—I love the landscape. I love the sheep, and Gosh, I would, that's I, enough I would for me, stri- really. I mean, you're, you're so busy, but this is a really beautiful view. Mm. I've got a couple of questions. What, who are these ewes then in the field beside us? They don't have lambs. No. So these—we can go and have a look. And hopefully, yeah. the weather's okay. So these guys are having a little little nosy at us. That's mm. a Suffolk there. You can see with the black face, and I like Suffolk. Yeah. Oh, she's probably a Suffolk cross, which is quite small, but she's got a lot of Suffolky um, genes in her. Yeah. Um, so these will be the yearlings. And so they will have uh, the lambs from last year. And oh, so I see. Okay, they so will they be are... here and they'll, um, they'll probably won't go to the top for a bit longer yet. But these are the youngsters usually are the that are here. This is the basis for your next generation. Yeah, oh, so okay. these, these are the youngsters that come here, which is why they're a little bit... And they're a little bit smaller than the ones in the, um, the shed. But the hill sheep will be smaller. Some of these will be hill sheep as well, um, probably this coming summer. And so they're all bred slightly differently. So the January, the early meat trade come from big ewes. They're a bit more Juno-esque. And these guys are much more adept to being out and they're going to be good on the hills. They've got, so at the back, they're a little bit more Welshy looking, shorter, good fleeces, pointier faces. There's one having a wee there. You know, performance <laughs> pressure. She's thought we're watching, yeah, better give them a show. Can't quite get that. <laughs> um, so the ones, the, the lambs that we've seen in the shed, yeah. that's the early meat market. Is yes. I mean, we've got to, the, the, You've got to talk, talk about, about the reality of yeah, it, yeah. We've talked about sentimentality, but those, those <laughs> will be the, the commercial Easter side. lambs, will they? They will, yeah. So they'll they'll go. I mean, a little bit past that, but they'll they'll stay there on their mothers for quite a while. They're a good size before they go. Yeah. Um, and they yeah they'll go they'll go for the early meat trade, and then these the ones that will come in in a couple of weeks. Uh, my uncle will decide whether he's going to breed from them, whether they'll go a little bit further on, but they tend to be um, lambs that he'll bring up as youngsters, and then maybe breed from them in a in a year or so. Okay. And they're a bit further down the line. So, well, and while we're talking about this, mm. certainly this is the reason, this is how you make the money, is yes. by breeding either for markets or for your next generation of Yeah, to sell on, yeah. Um, oh, look at this, I love this. Turkey tail uh, fungus. Using at the wood, something has been. Um, yeah, that's sort of battery type. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, so we're looking at a 
a lovely piece of oak here with turkey tail fungus, which has a, it's like a fan, almost like a seashell, isn't it? Yeah. And then these huge gouges. Look a bit like pansies. Yeah. Yeah, pansies. Yeah, that's also. And then this log has been gouged almost with a mechanical. <laughs> yeah. So there must be some bugs in here that are. Something's gone up that. Imagine the badger with that sort of strength. But, uh, Wanted to get whatever was impressive. residing within. Yeah. So we talked about, um, you know, obviously a lot of these lambs are going to go to market. Oh, being vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. So and you're vegetarian. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think it's. I mean, for me, and I suppose as as I said, some people will say, "How do you um, farm?" sheep and then not eat them but for me I think it's and this sounds it's so hard to say it without sounding contrite or anything like that but I think when you've got something there everything is nurture everything is responds to how you look after it and the sheep here you can touch their heads talk to them because if you're kind to them you look after them and you you know the life that they're here they're, they're doing us a great service and I think the very least we can do is look after them to the, the high degree that frankly they deserve mm. um, and it's just a preference for me I've got no issue with people that do eat meat my issue is more how how animals are dispatched that's more of an issue for me right. I think if there's a more humane way to do it or perhaps in the more traditional ways on a smaller scale the world's so big now you have to have these great big you know the ways of doing it is too industrialised I don't like it, but that's that's me. Yeah. But I think um, so it's a big issue with it is small, it's... small abattoirs, small local abattoirs used to have sort of died out a bit. Yeah, they? and I think it's you know. But then you hear horror stories about how the Victorians used to, and Charles Dickens wrote about it prolifically because he was so offended by meat markets and things because he thought mm. of the cruelty. But I think for me, I don't. George Bernard Shaw said, didn't he? And I'm going to sound like such an arse saying this, but he said, I do, "Animals are my friends, and I don't eat my friends." And I think, whilst I'm not comparing myself to him in the slightest, of course, how could I? But um, he's absolutely hit it on the nose. So for me, I see these girls all through the night. I spend time with their lambs. I chat to them. I put classic FM for them. You know, <laughs> the last thing I could do is eat them. Yeah. Um, and so when they come in, and if they they kind of run a muck or you know, before they're used to me again, I sort of say, look, I'm the last person on earth that's going to wish you any harm. And it was about so 10 years ago. So don't eat any meat? Even, no even meat at all, not fish or anything. I always find it odd when people say, well, fish isn't meat. Of course it's meat. I don't eat animals. Yeah. Well, I, I find that really quite... I, yeah, it's, quite I just think, oh, for goodness sake. You know, and I, I think the... You know, it's hard, isn't it? Because I think farmers absolutely... This whole idea that veganism is going to save the environment simply isn't true. You only have to look at Las Vegas and realise that we're a drop in the ocean. You know, yeah, not yeah. eating meat is not going to change it. It's electric. It's all these things that we do. I think the farmers need our support. I don't eat it because I just think of them as friends. I adore them. And so yeah. it's, a, it's a lifestyle choice. But I think it would be blinker to think that not eating meat is the sole salvation of the environment. I'm afraid it isn't. But do you have these conversations with other farmers and they say, um, oh, Alex, why... Yeah, all the time. My uncle why, why, pulls why my you... leg. My granny will yeah. always say, when are you going to grow out of it? Even our shearers, you know, they see all the dreaded vegetarian. You know, yeah, it's been a long, ongoing thing for years. So you're and quite a rarity among the farming community in terms of your... I mean, obviously you're very... You know, you're so part of this landscape. Yeah. Part of the, but in terms of your being a vegetarian. I, mean, I, I don't want to sort of really, labour too no, much. No, not at all. But it, it does, I think it's something that's really interesting. I think, I think it's, um, yeah, and it's not, a, it's not a kind of, it wasn't done in any kind of way that was like, you know, if I do this, it's going to single me out. It was just a, a choice, really. And I never ever mention it unless someone says, do you want to come for supper? Anything you don't eat. And I go, yeah, carcasses. Um, <laughs> but other than yeah. that, you know, it, it wasn't a lifestyle choice in terms of trying to be, you know, a little bit rebellious. It, it is solely because I love the animals. And I think, yeah, it probably is unusual but then you know there's 
there's all sorts of lifestyle choices that people do that are pretty unusual, aren't there? And in Shropshire, being a vegetarian is probably the least quirky thing because Shropshire is pretty eccentric. You know, there's a magpie there. Hello, Mr. Magpie. How are your wife and children? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd like to um, see two. Regular podcast listeners will know that. I'm never totally happy in this. I've seen well, three. one for sorrow is one, not the best no, sign no, for us, no, is it, no, Fergus, no. really? Well, but well, um, I, I'm sure of... Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, this land... I, do, I think we're custodians of it, aren't we, really? And this, I sound like such a sort of soapbox. <laughs> but it's, this, this was all here a very long time before us, and I think the, the imprint you leave on it is essential. And I think if you are going to have to labour the land and you are going to have to work the land, then the least you can do is sort of respect it and respect the animals that, that are on this land, really. Are there lots of small them. farms like yours? I mean, I say small, hundred acres. Yeah, in, yeah, in Shropshire, there's quite a few. There's one just over, there's, there's lots of there's one just over there. Um, they've got some more, and you know, and I, I won't say the farmers' names, you know, but no, 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 we 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 but we've just all run alongside each other. Most of them around here are that sort of size, and the the, the boundaries will kind of lap just about there, and right. you know, will someone add a little bit extra, a bit like Napoleon or something, and yeah. kind of go move your fence, you know? But I think <laughs> I'm sure most I, of my grandfather's I farm. I think we'll have to get you on on our. <laughs> Get you, get, buy you a drink and get you to tell some of your <laughs> Some of the stories. Tales. Oh, it's all in here. But <laughs> there's a lot of old small farms and yeah. hill sheep and you get the odd gain. You know, sheep comes off and you think, oh, that's not mine. I better phone farmer X, Y and Z and say, your sheep's here. <laughs> yes. But we all know each other and everyone knows. And it's, yeah, I mean, it is it's all village green preservation society, really. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. We're back in the lemming shed, because as you can hear, the, uh, the rain has closed in. <laughs> I think this might be the next bit of Storm Dudley, or maybe we're, we're on to Storm E in the alphabet. I think oh, yeah. Call the next one, Eunice or Eustace, the, whatever they called her. Eunice, wasn't it? D- Dudley was a very dull name for a storm, but there we go. Yeah, or Eunice is a bit Dudley. more... But uh, it's very atmospheric, isn't it? It's opportunistic yeah. timing that this, is, this has come in. This is, this is great. So I'm, I remember what I was going to ask you. Oh, yeah. Is, um, do you have any concerns? Uh, yeah, so a lot of farms are being consolidated in oh, parts yes. of Britain. Yeah. So, uh, and I've often heard... So rural economists say quite, you know, without any sentimentality at all, there's no room for the family farm in yeah. modern Britain. But, uh, you know, this is like a... You make a living here. Yeah, no, we, we, we definitely do. And I think the thing is, you, I think as with all things, it's about a combination of different attributes and skills. And I think my mum and I are very... Um, nurture, you know, nurturing in the sense we love looking after them. We call this the nursery. My uncle, who's astute and very good at the paperwork and things like that, and he's very good at the breeding program. I think it's, as with all things, and that's what you get with a family farm that maybe you don't in some places, is that combination of skills and you know each other. You know each other's weaknesses, strengths. You know, my uncle knows we're good at the lambing, so he very much lets us head that up. So he gets really good lambs because he's good at the breeding side of things but then we're good at looking after them and rearing them and so I think with family farms it's a real combination of skills you learn to work alongside each other you learn about the animals you learn the old skills and I think that really brings something so whilst we haven't got loads of animals those that are being sold on as I said earlier are good quality they're a good size they fetch a good price yeah exactly and they do well at marketing and I think it's you know, you get you get known at market, you know, the auctioneers, you know, the man who brings the animal feed. Everything is this small kind of world, really. Um, 
And I think, I think that's important. So, yes, you know, you're not turning over the type of money these huge farms are, um, some places will be. But if you're more than self-sufficient, then I think that's enough. I think sometimes, um, you know, success isn't measured slowly, uh, solely in pecuniary matters, is it? I think if you're running a farm oh, that gosh. funds itself, the animals are happy, you're happy, then we're already luckier than a lot of farmers because there's some that are really working to the bone and for whatever reason it isn't working for them. So, you know, I really feel for those people because arguably it's one of the hardest working industries and I think that they absolutely deserve the admiration. So for me to say, uh, you know, the farm's self-sufficient because we do X, Y and Z, probably a little bit complacent because a lot of farmers working, really working their asses off, frankly, and it, they really struggle and I, I really feel for them. So we've been very lucky and I think we've always stayed on a scale that's manageable. Um, and that, that maybe has worked for us. And also because, you know, there's no rents to pay and things like that. So if you're a tenant farmer, yeah, so my grandmother, yeah, exactly. So whereas I think tenant farmers and things, you know, and I, they've got their work cut out. They really have, and I feel for them. And I'm in no position that I could never just go and buy a farm or anything. I've just been lucky enough to work on a family farm. But I'm, yeah, I'm not blindsided to that. I don't, I'm not putting myself in a position saying it's solely because we do this. I think it's much more convoluted than that. Do you, so I probably haven't sort of asked you who actually works on that. You've got your uncle who's mm. the, the he did sort of, uh, so my, in charge. My grandmother owns it. My uncle's yeah. very much in charge. He's the captain of the ship. Um, he knows what he's doing. His son um, is a very big help with that as well. So I'd say they're the same main sort of guys. Uh, you know, he's his sort of wing commander or whatever. I don't know what the Navy phrase would be. That's probably, you know, my military knowledge yeah. is a bit limited. First lieutenant. First lieutenant. So let's, let's go with that. And then uh, mum and I are very much kind of the the midshipman or whatever. I don't know what the yeah, term yeah. would be, but we kind of come down. I do, I do the feeding. Um, we do the lambing together. My mum is really, I mean, my uncle's got really good knowledge. Mum is very good at um, the more complex births and things like that. Although I've been delivering breaches and things on my own now. So I've come on, um, you know, last couple of years. And um, yeah, I think it's my uncle and his son, their knowledge of the land and of animals and all that sort of thing is, is amazing. And he teaches me things and you just pick things up along the way. But yeah, we I do the feeding and the so the mothering really. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's, it's great, and I can see how passionate you are. Oh, so I provide, love them. Yeah, it's a living for sort of five people. Though, There's five. what? Sorry, it's a living for five people. Yeah, well, so because my we do so we do other jobs as well, and then my grandmother obviously is. Um, okay, so you do a little bit of work I do, on the side too, to kind yeah, of top up to working well. for a wine merchant and things. And yeah, because you know sustenance and all that, and you know. Oh, you've got so, to live. How, so that's how it works as well. So you, yeah, you, and I, I write a few columns and things. So it's it's kind of yeah. I think you you do bits and bobs, and so I think really for us, if the farm is funding itself in the sense that it can keep going and very much so keep going, then then I think you you kind of feel like you're doing your job. Um, and then, because you feel like a custodian looking after the place and looking after the animals. And then I think I do bits for, for a wine merchants as well, doing their tours, and I do historical talks for them and, and uh, uh, so organise their events and things. Boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably jack of all trades, master of none, I think is probably <laughs> never a truer, truer word spoken. But yeah, um, but this is my, if I could be with sheep full time, and largely I am, then that would be, you know, um, that would be my absolute... Yeah, never wears me down. I love them. I could be here all day. They're hilarious. And what, I suppose, how do you see the future panning out? What are the sort of hopes and fears for the farm? I suppose it's, it's hard to say because you just, you just don't know. It could go anyway. I mean, you could decide that maybe these places have to be split between siblings or maybe people can, you know, as long as someone's here and wants to run it, it so got who sisters. knows? Is well, it's, right? my uncle has, is the one he's got, they're, they're, he's one of five. And so, you know, as with anything, who knows? But um, yeah. 
I know that my cousins and things and you know they, they all love the place and so you just you don't know it's like anything that's family owned you don't know when you know how long that story will go on for you can just oh hope that it, gosh, that it does so there's, yeah. there's a sort of slight uncertainty somewhere on the horizon but, but then um, but I suppose it's an uncertainty with anything isn't yeah, there gosh, you, yes. you know yeah, even if something's doing well you just you just yeah. don't know one day to the next so I think I um, I always just think I'm I'm grateful that I'm here and doing this now and I think that that, that stands in everything doesn't it well, I think you've earned a lunch. Yes. I think that's, that's just marvellous. <laughs> you've fed all the animals. It's time you were fed. Yes, they always eat before me. That, yeah. That's the rule. <laughs> and so we left the rain and headed to the pub. And it was just really, we just carried on the conversation. It was just lovely listening to Alex talk about her life on that Shropshire farm. I left rather sadly because it was such a lovely place, such a wholesome place to be. And she clearly so in tune with her animals and the land and the locals. I mean, as we walked along the street to the pub, she knew everybody and was waved at every single car. And I was rather envious of that sort of deep connection to landscape and to locality, which I don't have. I've moved around a lot um, in life. But here I'm at home in the podcast studio with Jack and Hannah again. And hello, chaps. Lovely to see you. Hello. Hello. Hope you enjoyed that trip to Stiper Stones in the Shropshire Hills and insight into the world of sheep. So, yeah, so that's, well, that's what I've been up to out in the hills. A few other adventures in the meantime, which I hope we can chat about later. But I was wondering what you guys have been up to in the, since, since we last chatted. I've been down on the allotment. Ah, <laughs> farming yourself. Brilliant. Um, I wouldn't quite say farming yet, um, unless you count. Pulling weeds out of the ground as farming. No, I'd, I'd a crucial part of preparing the land for, for the growing season, Jack. Oh, yeah, so it was a nice couple of hours on the Sunday. What are you planning on planting? Well, we've got uh, quite a few options this year. I know my, uh, my dad, who is his allotment, I just help out with. Um, uh, I think we've got some strawberry plants, some other sort of gooseberries and stuff like that, and probably get some carrots and parsnips and stuff. Good, good solid fare, root, veg and fruit. Are you... You have. I know you have an allotment back in. I back do. In the well, home, my mum has an allotment which I adore and have spent very many merry hours there. But I'm not there at the moment. I'm in Bristol, so I'm furiously jealous. Mm. <laughs> I want to give you all sorts of tips. Do you have space for another labourer <laughs> on the land? I can do the weeding. There we go. Yeah, and planting. Oh, done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be. The, I'll just pick the veg. Yes. Everything else. You wear a nice hat and a big basket. Yeah. Just fill the basket. That's a crucial role, the uh, the harvester. Yeah, it's one of the toughest roles I've found. Yeah. yeah. Get, get those beans right at the top. That uh, <laughs> comes in handy being tall. We once had a an autumn that was so wet that all the slugs climbed up the bean poles. So we were trying to pick beans off and there was just all these slugs under everything, over everything. It's amazing. It's like we were farming slugs. <laughs> How do you feel about slugs? Happy. Happy about slugs. Yeah, yeah. I like all those weird things. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. I was, I, was, I was sort of caught in two minds about whether we should denigrate the humble slug no. for all its They've got challenges. work to do and we should just let them do it. Well, I find that something that moves so slowly and only has one foot is incredible the amount of... <laughs> Destruction. <laughs> the amount of destruction it can yeah. wreak, but then it's it's happening at night. Oh, so, if you, what's your best anti-slug tip for? How quickly we've gone from sheep to slugs? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, just picking them off, being persistent, checking things all the time. Really? Okay. Yeah. Jack, uh, any slug advice? Now, um, I used to work in a coffee shop, and I'm very aware that ground coffee is uh, good for your plants, but also slugs don't like it. Okay. It doesn't hurt them. I just think they're not a fan of coffee. Uh, do you think they prefer tea to coffee? Possibly. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe just the, the caffeine. They're, they're too quick. They're, they can't. I'm, I'm going to stray. In, in terms of sort of talking about what slugs like to drink, I sometimes use beer traps. Of course you do. Of course I do. It's like, that's like an old school it's, uh, and method. Like old, so old school. And that does work, but I don't do it anymore because you sometimes catch other things. And I once caught a lesser stag beetle. And so I've never used it since. So, yeah, I'm with you. Go out and collect them by hand and then um, release them into the wild well, somewhere else. And another <laughs> tip, but if you encourage birds into the garden and oh, that's perfectly hedgehogs acceptable. and hedgehogs, all that yeah. sort of thing. That's part of the web of life. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that's the very best if you've got a healthy ecosystem, frogs and everything. So there's your weekly slug advice <laughs> from the podcast. Um I was going to say, we've got a bit of a post bag this month. And I would only mention it now because it may, we've just been to Shropshire. And our first letter is from Shropshire as well. And it's not from Alex. It's from, well, I'll, I, you've, got your, you've got the post bag. So our letter is from Barbara Ashton in Uffington, Shropshire. And she says, in the BBC archives, there is a recording from 1924 of a cellist Beatrice Harrison, playing her cello in the garden with a nightingale singing in the trees overhead. Eighteen years later, in 1942, the BBC engineers were recording nightingales when bombers started flying overhead to a raid in Europe, and this was subsequently recorded in broadcast. We lived on a farm on the coast of Suffolk. In front of the house was an area of woodland. We used to watch the red squirrels in the trees and the nightingales sang in the summer nights. My father was so taken with the recording that one night, when there were bombers flying overhead to a raid somewhere in Europe, he woke me and my brother, took us outside, and we listened to the nightingales singing overhead, singing against the sound of the Merlin engines. My goodness, that's really evocative. And it seems sort of really pertinent. Thank you, Barbara. It seems so pertinent at this time we're recording at a time of war in Europe again. And just like the power of sounds of nature against the sounds of obviously the Merlin engines of the of the aircraft. Yeah, it's lovely. It's it's sad and you know there's, there's something very evocative about that juxtaposition of the beautiful Nightingale song hopefully I'm really hoping we can go and record some Nightingale song this year. Um, we've had an invite. I'm not going to give any more away, but we've had an invite to go down to somewhere in Sussex and record a very very special evening there'll be music alongside nightingales your debut on the cello <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know well, that'd be like the sound of soaring a cat in half um that's brilliant thank you and thank you for reading that Hannah. jack I, I believe you might even have something there's another treat from the from the post bag fresh to the post bag we have a review oh how fresh fresh is in this week fresh yes. oh and it's a five-star review. Oh, of course it is. Marvellous. And I believe this it's from Trout in Boots, who I believe has reviewed us before, so oh. we're very thankful. Thank you, Trout in Boots. And it's quite an sort of a quite emotional review. Uh, it's titled Sparrows, and uh, the review is just, thank you for these, I miss them so much. Oh, it breaks your heart, doesn't it? <sighs> so this is 
in response to one of your sound escapes, Hannah, which is uh, a recording of sparrows. In fact, I recorded that in my front garden. It's a group of sparrows just chirping away for... I'm very, very lucky to have a colony of sparrows in my garden. And um, there's two colonies in my street. What kind of sparrows? House sparrows, house sparrows, yeah. So there's two species of sparrow in Britain. House sparrows and tree sparrows. Tree sparrows are super rare. Uh, I've hardly ever seen them. But house sparrows, people think, when you have them in your garden, people think, oh, they're common as anything. But I think they've declined by a ridiculous number. 70% might be uh, in the past 20, 25, 30 years for many complex reasons. Do you have sparrows down in, in your part of Bristol? Yes. Oh, not in not in Bristol. In in Wales we do lots. And there's another soundscape actually that I did with Dunnocks and House Sparrows. Oh, that's right. Much further down the line. Yeah. But if you want more sparrows, we have them. Yeah, and Dunnocks called hedge sparrows, which is a misnomer. Uh, because they, they're not related to the Sparrow family. Sparrows are more like finches, really. Thank you very much, Charlton Boots. You can find loads and loads. We've uh, done over 50 now, Sound Escapes. One goes out every week on Friday with Hannah's dulcet tones introducing them. And they're just little postcards from the countryside. Talking of lovely sounds or curious sounds, I want to go back to last week's podcast, which was when Jack and I went out with Tom from Bike Radar in the Forest of Dean on our e-bikes, or not our e-bikes, borrowed e-bikes. And at one point, I recorded a little bit of audio. Well, we were talking, and then some birds went overhead. And, well, this is, this is what I recorded, and I, I need some help with it. It's a hawfinch, I think. Well, so Jack and Hannah are laughing. Um, and rightly so, I don't think that was a whole finch. That was me just being really hopeful. I think that might be a crossbill or a couple of crossbills. But there's certainly a little flock of large finches. We're so desperate to see whole finches. And there are lots in there. Well, there's a good population in the Forest of Dean, particularly in winter. And um, But I think those were crossbills. However, if any listener can confirm do send me an email or or confirm they might be hawfinches. <laughs> um, send, please send me an email to my address, which is editor at countryfile.com. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. If ever, you, if ever I do get it wrong, I'm very happy to be corrected because it's part of, I just learn a bit more. On the way to work the other day, I was cycling along and in the middle of Bristol from having parked my car, I cycled to the office and I was on a busy road and suddenly there was this really sh- sort of sh- like a shrieking sound from above me. And it, I looked up and the sound I've heard quite a few times. It was a peregrine, not, but really only, I don't know, 10 metres above my head, circling around and shrieking. So I stopped, pulled my bike onto the pavement and started looking up. I looked around also at other people. No one else seemed to have noticed it. It was an amazing sighting. So, and I... It was just too slow to record it, otherwise I would play it to you. But that's also been my wildlife highlight of the week. Well, it's <laughs> one of the things the... I really wanted to see this year, um, at Christmas time, when Kev asked us what it was that we wanted to um, see this year. Oh, peregrines. Oh, well, yeah. that can definitely be fulfilled. I managed to hear one in Bath last weekend, but I didn't quite get the glimpse. So they're obviously very vocal this time of year. It's They do start relatively early. I think they're probably starting 
courting, mating, breeding, that sort of thing right now. So uh, to take advantage of all the small birds that are going to be produced to feed their young. So, yeah, we talked about a lot about this cycle of life, but that's um, look out for peregrines. Uh, I wish I had recorded that because it would have made a good sound of the week. We love it when listeners send in, when you listeners send in anything that you capture from the natural world or, or sounds of the countryside. Please send them in. We love to hear them and we'll play them as our sound of the week in f- future episodes. And again, you can send those to my email address, which is editor at countryfile.com. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. So thanks very much for listening and join us again next week for another lovely adventure in the countryside.